Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Notes to My Legal Self. I'm Olga Mack, your host. Uh, this is a place where we explore life of in-house lawyers, everything from substantive how to do things to personal aspiration to career aspirations to community involvement, because we know that in-house lawyers are human first. They're well-rounded and they care about all kinds of things and they show up in, in all kinds of packages. Um, today, we have a really interesting conversation. It is a substantive conversation focused on how to be, uh, how to become, um, a product lawyer. That is a relatively recent phenomenon in, in, in legal space of, of being one, what it means to be one, um, and how to be an effective one. My guest is a serial product lawyer, someone um, I admire and uh, have been connected to for quite a long time. And as a reminder, these conversations are inspired by you, um, and we have a lot of expertise among the community members. And uh, these conversations are a result of your nominations. People get in touch with me. People write comments in the, um, in the comments box. If you know of a legal in-house professional, and I'm very specifically not using the word lawyer because we know that legal departments are increasingly, uh, relying on professionals who are business professionals that may or may not have a law degree or may or may not be members of the bar. Uh, let me know. I would like to have conversations about substantive law, careers, aspirations, communities, uh, with in-house professionals that we can learn from. And with that in mind, uh, let me introduce my guest, Robert. Welcome to the show. Uh, say hello and, um, and introduce yourself, please. Hi, I'm Robert Esposito. I'm a senior legal director of technology and product at Hillspire. Uh, Hillspire advises a number of philanthropic initiatives in science and technology, such as uh, Schmidt Futures. Uh, previously, I was a product counsel at Pandora and before that at Facebook. And before going in-house, I uh, was an IP litigator for a number of years. So we have a lot in common. I was an IP litigator once. And yes, I was a product counsel once. So I think that's a great place to start. When I went to big law and I was thinking about transition to think that it's an obvious place to go from being an IP litigator to being a product lawyer. I'm just curious, how did that happen to you? It happened over a long period of time. Uh, and I think, you know, that's something I'd like to get into, but, um, you know, it started and ended with me being a tech enthusiast, I think. And, um, and why I went to law school in the first place, which was to focus on law and technology. Um, but at the time, you know, everybody said, um, I was a chemistry major in college. And when I said I wanted to go to law school, everybody said, oh, you should be a patent lawyer. Um, people will be just knocking the door down with jobs for you um, as a patent lawyer. So um, as a dutiful student, uh, that's what I did. Um, I focused on IP and I was a litigator for, I think, about eight years before deciding that I wanted to go in-house. And um, had I not enjoyed the firm and enjoyed litigating so much, I probably would have done that sooner. Um, but ultimately, working with um, tech companies and working with product managers and engineers, I realized that 
the reason I got into law in the first place was that I love technology. And wouldn't it be awesome if there was a career where I could actually help build products uh, and be part of that team as opposed to, you know, defend um, lawsuits. That, that's really funny because you actually have a science background. So you qualify to sit for the patent bar. I, I have a similar story. Mine is a science degree. So I never qualified to sit for the patent bar uh, by virtue of my education. Um, and so I, in, instead of kind of the, the encouraging advice there, hey, sit for the patent bar exam and become a patent lawyer, I, I had a different side of it. Why are you even trying? You're not even qualified to do this. <laughs> so, so there is the other side of IP law. If you don't have a tech, a tech background that sometimes inaccurately tries to channel you away from tech and product. Um, but that aside, I, I, I love that pass. That's a very interesting pass. I, and, and it happens to folks who have, you know, uh, an advantage or, uh, you know, a, a different kind of uh, background in, in, in science and, and, and appreciate that and then go to law. I want to have a very deep substantive conversation about what it means to be a product counsel. Let's define what does it like, what is this? <laughs> yeah, I think the best place to start is what is a product in this context? And I mean, maybe it's a little bit of if you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail, but a product is really whatever your company or organization puts out there, makes available. It could be B2C, you know, business to consumer, or it could be business to business. Um, so it could be a program, it could be a newsletter, it could be whatever it is. So with that in mind, um, there's so many different ways to think about what a product council is. And frankly, I don't know about you, but I don't even think that that role existed when we went to law school. Um, but what I would say yeah, I mean, the, you know, I think it, it, it's, I, it's existed in, 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 in kind of more evolved companies uh, that are maybe were a little bit, it definitely was not predominantly existing when I went to law school. And, and, and many people who were doing that work were not called product lawyers. Um, and then it that's, became, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. It was often mixed with things like commercial work. It still is in some organization. Um, so I think it always kind of existed. It just, there may or may not have been a name to it and there may or may not have been a separate function to it. But yes, let's, let's go into definition, Robert. <laughs> right. So the definition I would give is um, the legal architect of the product. They're a member of the product team. Um, the engine, you know, the product manager is the product architect, the designer designs the user experience. The product council designs the legal infrastructure of the product holistically. They're not just a tax lawyer focusing on tax issues or an IP lawyer focusing on IP. They take responsibility for the entire product. That's a great definition. And I like how you actually start, you know, with the product. <laughs> the product is sort of an important part there. Um, and so that sort of means, or not sort of, that really means that what you do day to day as a product lawyer may differ across industries, right? There is absolutely. There and, you know, to take uh, some examples from my background, if you, if you want to work at a social media company, you, you're going to be focusing on data privacy, um, content moderation, advertising law. 
Um, whereas if you work in a philanthropic organization like I do, you might be focusing on tax exempt organizations, um, education and child safeguarding, um, you know, uh, and on and on. So really the, the industry that you're in, uh, it could be food and drug safety. It could be automotive and driver safety. Um, you know, it, you really have to become an expert in the regulatory environment in which your product lives. Yeah. Yeah. So it is a quite diverse role and it's a role where the, I would say in knowledge of the customer and the product and kind of understand why they're buying it and what makes them frustrated is, is very important. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, in fact, I, I focus on um, you often start from common sense and um, consumer confusion or pissing off the user, <laughs> because those are the two things that can lead to legal claims and complaints and notifying your regulator. If you don't confuse people and you don't piss them off, you're, you've kind of won already in terms of uh, a product counsel. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. I, and that's what my favorite thing to do when I was a product counsel was to sit I, uh, with customer success and listen to calls because <laughs> you get a really good idea where, like, where is the pain point for your customers? And, and then you really understand who the regulator that will be knocking on your door in about three seconds. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. So there is sort of, a, you know, and I like how you, you, you frame it. One is sort of industry specific. And then there are issues that I think, and then you kind of hit it in, there are differences between B2B and B2C. And you also added a third one that, you know, I actually dealt with to some extent because I was a GC of a nonprofit is a nonprofit sector because there is a really heavy tax component there. The whole business is really structured around that. So um, let's maybe take one by one, kind of B2C, B2B, and philanthropic. Um, you know, others and industry issues that could be cut across those three. In B2B, B2C, philanthropic, what are the sort of main differences of things we see um, in, the, in, in the knowledge that you need to have or need to learn to be effective at your product role? I think it comes, it comes to one of the tenets of being a product council, which is everything should be seen from the perspective of the user or whoever is, you know, receiving that product. So if your audience um, is uh, 15 to 17 year olds, or your audience audience is 17 to 34 year olds, consumers, or students, it's a completely different focus than if your audience is other businesses. Um, so the lens through which you look at every aspect of your product and ensure compliance or ensure that it makes sense. Um, and the user journey, which is kind of a term of art, but the, the experience that your user has with the product always has to be seen through that lens. Um, I mean, if you wanted to even give me like make up a product or give me something I could tell you um, what I would immediately start thinking about, it's very, very um, idiosyncratic. Um, whatever your product is and whoever your audience is, is going to vastly affect um, what legal issues you see and how your risk tolerance and kind of how you counsel um, that product. All right, let's do just that. 
<laughs> you ask, you, I, I shall deliver. Um, you know, a, a content provider for um, young adults uh, in the form yeah. of, say, videos. <laughs> so you have, you have IP, you have, um, how are you going to monetize? So you have advertising, uh, both truth in advertising and um, the business side of advertising. Uh, you have targeting the advertising and using, um, so then you get into privacy with uh, what data are you going to use. Um, you have child uh, safeguarding uh, in terms of what types of content can you display to them. Um, you have a lot of probably vendor uh, arrangements that you need to figure out in terms of the tech stack and who's going to host the videos. Um, Let's see. What else? You you do some product counseling. What else do you see? <laughs> I think you mainly. I, I it's not a test. I, I mean, you <laughs> hit it on the head. I mean, there may be a host of others depending on kind of the business specifics. But I I, I didn't I didn't want to pick on any business. I, I, I you know you you most definitely in the range and ballpark. But I, I just like how you showed in action how kind of how your mind works. Let me give you one more kind of B two B. Suppose you have a widget, maybe something like. That gives you a business efficient, like efficiency. I don't want to specifically talk about Calendly, for example, but like something like like a small thing that delivers a utility that is very popular that integrates with your I don't know your your Gmail and other things, um, and maybe your you know uh, marketing and 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 or sales activities. <laughs> yeah. So. I immediately start to think about business plans. Um, how are you protecting your IP? Um, how, what's your growth plan? Um, who are your investors? What type of entity do you want to set up? Um, and how are you going to market yourself? Are you going to do integrations? So you have business partnerships um, and those all need to be negotiated. Um, and you think about branding, you know, I, uh, trademarks, um, and uh, I don't know. Um, you 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 have to think about again who who are your um, who are your customers? How are you going to get in front of them? And uh, I mean everything comes into play at that point. Um, insurance coverage and all of the all of the infrastructure for for a product like that. Maybe the only one I would add is sort of because you're probably going to have a lot of integrations that may or may not be partnerships. So there's going to be a whole host of open source API issues um, that are very narrow and very important in the, in your success. But but I think you mentioned IP issues, so this is just maybe a, a refinement because those are not small issues. And um, and uh, and I, as somebody who understands them pretty well, often rely on specialists to understand them even better. So. Um, Let's talk a little bit about uh, nonprofits, right? Uh, nonprofits, you know, and, and, and that is a big category of all, you know, of all kinds of things. There's obviously going to be an industry component. Um, you know, I think you identified one big one in the context of nonprofit because you probably have some sort of status of 501c3 or some 501c, not three, but two or whatever that is a professional <laughs> organization. Um and that is that is a mission critical part to that organization that is needs to be safeguarded in all your dealings because that is the IRS status. And so that that is a big part of when you alluded to that, which what a council product council would do um, in. A, and I, I don't know that space very well. I, I wasn't there for very long. 
But other than that, and sort of the industry that you're in, you know, say, you know, if you're dealing with minors, you know, are there any other uh, nonprofit specific product issues that that you can kind of think of? Uh, because you've been in this space longer than I have. Yeah, um, you know, the because it's a nonprofit, obviously, you have to have a charitable hook. Um, it could be lessening the burdens of government or there's a whole slew of them. And we actually, in my current organization, we have experts who deal with that and I don't, but I've become very familiar with it. But other than that, um, you, you can't, um, try to influence, you know, um, elections. So there are a lot of restrictions and structure that come around, um, being a nonprofit. You have, um, a distinction between operating foundations and, and charities that kind of, um, only give out funding and they don't actually operate programs. So you have to make sure you, you're using the right structure and the right entity. And a lot of what you do if you're a nonprofit attorney is figure out funding sources and structure so that you do respect the tax status that you're dealing with. Yeah, th th thank you for refining my answer. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Because, you know, the, the, the nonprofit world is, is really actually not monolithic. Um, and depending kind of how you classify it, you may or may not be able to do political activities and, and stuff like that. And, and that, again, that, that, that tax exempt status is, is a really core to the business and very important to safeguard. Let's shift gears. And I want to talk about how do you become one? You know, uh, there's clearly many opportunities in this field. It's a very diverse field that has many subfields. And specializing may be something that may be rewarded, although in your case, you're actually kind of going a little bit across, um, which probably allows you to learn, but also, you know, um, maybe a, a lot of pressure. Uh, help me understand, how do you, you know, kind of get your first job? And maybe in your case, because I think you understand it really well, how you pivot to, say, product role in, in you know, from B to C to nonprofit, right? That, that's also kind of special. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, first of all, it's, it takes a while, usually, almost everybody I spoke to when I decided I wanted to become a product counsel, took a year or even two years, it took me a year and a half of interviewing with probably every tech company in the Bay Area, before I got a job in house. And really, what it came down to was uh, having a connection um, at the company. Um, and that's probably just true of getting any job, but a former client, um, you know, at the company, uh, was the connection. So whether it's a, if you're at a law firm, if you have colleagues who are going in house, um, they could be your connection into a in-house job. Um, another issue that I dealt with, and if anybody out there is a litigator or they're just working at a law firm, um, in-house lawyers have a have a certain viewpoint of law firm attorneys as you know inefficient or not understanding the business realities um, or risk averse, and you really have to counteract all of those concerns. Um, so you have to come up with a story and about you know why you will succeed in the role and. You also, I mean, if I were to just answer the question from, you know, the best case scenario, you should have substantive experience advising clients on the issues that are pertinent to the product counseling role that you're looking for. 
So like I said, if you're trying to go to a social media company, if you have a lot of privacy experience, then you have a great leg up. If you don't have privacy experience, like I didn't, um, then do research on the side, write articles, um, you know, speak on panels and demonstrate that you're passionate about it and that you can do that you can do the job. Yeah, yeah. I think that passion is very important because I'm having been hiring the the product council before. You know, you hope for somebody who has done it many times. You know, at a you know related or you know closely related or directly related company. But but that's sometimes you know doesn't happen. Sometimes you kind of go as an employer at it, knowing that you're gonna have to train them about industry, definitely about your business. Um, you know, and so many product council. I, I was definitely hired on potential there and i've hired folks on potential and i think that it's easy to see potential when there is an intrinsic interest you know if somebody uses you know let's just say example of social media somebody's very active on social media you know and um really like seems to be natural there and um they may be passionate about some related issues like privacy it's just like it's easy to say oh i can see how they can be excited to bridge the gap and i will help them if if you don't see even that, then it's a really big risk, and so it's 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 a much much more complicated. But you did another thing, and this is what I find interesting. You know, you went from you know B two C content oriented company in music industry, like really niche. You know, music is really niche. Has you know the way the kind of um, IP law applies there is very special um, in every country. So a uh, very different place, and you went to. Um, Nonprofit, which is again, you know, niche, you know, area, um, and has a host of issues. So, if you already have your first product role and you are pivoting to a different industry or uh, a different type of product role, how did you do that? That that is a very interesting pivot. I don't know. I think um, the the basic skills are the same, and. Um, one of the things I say about product counseling is you're a product expert. So um, you you have to learn no matter what. Um, the products are always changing. What the company is focusing on can change. And one of your skills is being able to quickly get up to speed and ask questions and review mocks and user flows and just learn everything you can about the product. So the more job moves I made, um, the more powerful I felt as a product attorney, because you, you grow the breadth that you, that you have, um, just continues to grow. You see more things, you see how things go wrong and you see how things go right. And so you become more and more effective, the more products you work with. So in some ways I see moving from company to company as a way of becoming a better attorney. Um, and I don't know if you think that's unfortunate or if you think that's just the way things are, but um, I've really seen my uh, my skills as an attorney, as a product attorney, um, increase every time I've made a move. Um, but I, I really like, I would go back to what you said, which is that being passionate about the product um, is probably one of the most powerful aspects. Um, so if you you do like music, if you do like social media, if you are 
inspired by um, science and technology, philanthropic initiatives, um, that's massive. Um, but you don't have to be. Um, I think I always become passionate about the products I work on, whatever they are. Um, and maybe that's just a personality trait, but um, I think people feel like they have to be passionate about everything. They have to love everything about their job. Um, and you, I don't think that that's true. I think that you can be passionate about the team you work with, or you can be passionate about what your job is and not necessarily the product. I, I think I'm largely with you there. I, I, I would advise on product in B2B, B2C, and nonprofit. And I think one of the things you learn is how to, you, you, you have a crystallized net, uh, framework of how to, to get up to speed as a product counsel and be effective. That's a really, you may be learning, you know, more either substantive law or, you know, product and stuff. But, you know, what I'm really good, independent of what kind of product it is, is to get, learn it. And I think kind of like yourself, I articulate three steps. It's products, it's users, and it's money. Like, how do we make money on this? You know, who actually pays? And if you kind of understand the, the sort of, what 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 is the innovative part of the product? What's unique? How it compares to other things in the market? What value it brings? If you understand who the core customers are and and, and why they use it as opposed to competitors, what their greatest pains, why they're upset, and if you understand how in the end we actually run a profitable business, and you have like a some sort of workflow in your head or actually in front of you, um, it's it's you, and, and if in the first three months you sort of spend time filling this out, you know, then it's, it just becomes to some extent law school exercise where you kind of soberly have to say, you know, like Olga, for example, has a really great experience in IP and privacy. But when, when I was at a payments company, payments is something I had to learn. And so I relied heavily on the outside counsel there. But over time, I, I learned a lot of payments issues. Um, you know, and so it's, it's stuff like that. It's being very sober where you've been, where you're going and really being able to have a framework for learning new stuff. And I, I agree with you. They, they actually going across, not just kind of going deep. It, it, it strengthens your framework as a product lawyer to, to, to deal with situations you've never seen before. Right. Because in the end, we, we are paid to deal with, with novel things often. Uh, especially if you're in tech. And I think that that's how you grow that muscle. Um, we are coming to the end. And I really, I love your insights. And I love how, um, like, I give you hypotheticals. I mean, this is cool. <laughs> <laughs> this is the geeky part of me speaking. Robert, I hope you're okay. I don't usually do that. I just do this to you. <laughs> yeah, I asked for it. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good, good. Okay. Um, well, um, let's talk about kind of, your least favorite parts of the job, right? Because, you know, as you said, you know, in the end, it's a job and you don't have to love your job to show up eagerly every day. Like, what is the part that you wish you'd change or were different? I think um, my least favorite part of the job is having to be a wrist slapper. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you work with a lot of people who their, their bottom line, their, their goal is to launch a product. And being seen as um, something that gets in their way or something that creates somebody who creates work that does not advance the goal of launching the product um, is, is a pain point. Um, however, I think if you do your job right, you will be seen as um, 
an, you know, an absolutely necessary and contributory member of the team who makes the product better. And, um, and that's really what I love about what I do, which is seeing a positive impact that I've had on the product and making all the other members of the team feel like they're protected. The, the end goal is to launch a successful product and to prevent it from being somehow taken down by legal problems um, and to make it, you know, make the user delighted, right? So um, having an actual positive impact on the product is, is the flip side of that. Oh, I love that. Um, you, you've had a very interesting career and, um, you know, very well-rounded product council career. Um, and it sounds like it's been very rewarding. So I'm going to ask you this, and maybe the answer to this nothing, but I'm just curious if you like now looking back and understanding your past of learning about product council role and what it entails um, and, and kind of figuring out as you go what it means to grow there, what, what would you do differently if you could Knowing that you have like a whole career ahead of you that you can do a lot of things going forward, but you know, there's sometimes useful to do in retrospect, would you have done anything differently? And if so, what would it be? I would have been more decisive. Um, I would have listened to the Olga Mac podcast. <laughs> I would have talked to. <laughs> I heard you too. <laughs> um, I would have not dismissed my passion and the reason I got into law in the first place as not something that would lead to a career. Um, and I would have left the law firm earlier. It wasn't because I didn't like the law firm. It was because I liked the law firm, but that wasn't ultimately what I wanted to do. Um, and if you've been a law firm for eight years and then you try to go in house, I can tell you from firsthand experience that that is not an easy transition to make. It is not easy to convince an in-house lawyer that, you've been doing something for eight years and suddenly you can do something that is drastically different. Um, so that is the one thing I would say is if you are thinking about doing something different, do it. Um, don't sit around for five more years and um, just, you know, uh, tread water. Yeah. That's very interesting. Look, I, I, I'm not sure that difficulty you had had to do with the fact that you've been there for eight years. Cause I've been at a, at a big law for about four and I, and I have to say that was one of the most difficult transitions I've done. And I've, I've never had the same job twice. I've now transitioned in all kinds of roles and pivoted. I don't, I think that that pivot is very hard for many reasons, including because of, of, of uh, stubbornness and really big divides in, in, in law practice. Uh, it mean, it, it, you know, it, it looks like it should be not that hard, but it actually is. I would say it's one of the hardest transitions I've made. And I'm not sure if it's because you've stayed there long. I think there are other sort of cultural reasons. Let's just <laughs> leave it at that. Um, uh, you, I, I want to maybe ask you a last question. You mentioned now a couple of times the role of the regulator. And that's maybe the one thing that I missed when I said, you know, product users money, because there is a regulator part. Um, and and, and, and in most product, you know, even unregulated products, um, there will be the regulator that you need to think about. How do you do this? How do you think about regulators? How do you do that dance with regulators? Because that's kind of key to, to, to product counseling role. Absolutely. Um, it's, Perhaps my biggest pro tip for being a product counsel is 
Who is your regulator? What are their enforcement priorities? If there's no regulator, your regulator is a state attorney general or class action plaintiff's attorneys. What class actions are being filed? How were they resolved? What settlements were reached? What investigations are ongoing at the FTC? Um, and if you focus on enforcement and, and that aspect, you will become a very powerful attorney because I can, there are so many laws out there. You can find one that says that you can't do something. Um, or more often you find there's no clarity in the law. So what you really need to focus on is what are the regulatory enforcement actions? What, where does this actually, where does the rubber actually hit the road? Um, and that is so powerful because when you give guidance to engineers and product managers and say, the law says this, it means nothing to them. But if you say, look at this article where this company was horribly embarrassed and their product, they had to pull their product back because they didn't do this thing that I'm telling you to do, they will listen to that and they will understand the risk. Um, but if you just point to a law and say, well, this is how I interpret it. So I don't think you should do that. That does not have nearly the impact um, that focusing on enforcement does. Um, if, you know, if your product lives in a regulatory environment, then, you know, you get into much more specific things like, do we brief our regulator? Do we have a relationship with them? Do we have a policy team? Um, you know, do we do advocacy? Do we have lobbyists? So that's a whole other practice, I would say, that is kind of a, over and above what a product council does, but it's very crucial depending on what product, you know, what regulatory environment you're, you're living in. Yeah, I am definitely with you there. My, my mentor, my first mentor in product um, posted this visual that basically said, it's not what the traffic sign says, it is how quickly you can drive. Uh, <laughs> and then he put an explanation and he said, you know, whether there is a cop, what are the weather conditions? <laughs> so that I, I find that reference to be really helpful as a product council. And I think you very much in more detail just outline things to think about. It's not what the traffic, you know, science says, it's how quickly you can drive. And that's kind of the role of the product council. Robert, I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation for many reasons because I, I think product councils are amazing, awesome people who add a ton of value. Um, and so, uh, and, and that is actually kind of my first love in house. I would like for you to say goodbye and maybe give a, a quick, you know, takeaway for folks who are either, you know, considering product role or maybe considering pivoting in the product role. What is one or two things that you think product lawyers should be aware and how they should, you know, go through life to be effective? My top advice would be to pursue what you're interested in. So if you want to become a product attorney, um, you have to be entrepreneurial about it. Um, if you're not getting exposure to the subject matter that you want to get exposed to, if you're not getting exposed to the clients that you want to get exposed to, to develop those connections to get to where you want to be, then make a change. Maybe go to another law firm um, that has exposure to those technology clients, for instance. And then if you're having trouble getting in-house, uh, at a product council role, just get any in-house role and then continue to move closer to what you want. So um, take it step by step and chart a path and have a story to tell. Um, I, the one thing you said that was very important that I want to just 
um, highlight is the passion, being able to tell a cohesive story about your skills and your passion for that company or that product or that technology and charting a course that gets you from where you are now to where you want to be. Yeah, I am with you. The, the, the path between where you are to where you want to be is almost always a story that you believe in. Because when you have a story that you believe in, <laughs> you will find the path. Nothing will, will stand in your way. I just love it. Robert, thank you so much. I really appreciate your joining and having this um, conversation and allowing me, actually asking me to put you on the spot. Um, <laughs> Uh, very admirable and brave of you. Um, and I certainly learned quite a lot from you. So thank you. Thank you so much. Um, and audience, I, I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Um, my takeaway, um, as I've been talking to Robo, is sort of crystallization of, of what it, of the framework as a product lawyer. And, and I think he's right on the money there when it comes to thinking about product, user, money, and regulator. Uh, regulators. And then, and then, of course, maybe the fifth is a passion. Uh, those are powerful things to think about. And as you thinking entering this profession or building on uh, where you are already, I would say those are sort of five parameters to consider. Thank you so much for joining. Uh, reminder, if you or someone you know, you think would be a great addition to the conversation to the in-house community about substantive practice of law, uh, career aspiration, personal development, or contributing to the community, let me know. Uh, you can't miss me on LinkedIn. I show up in many ways. So definitely let me know. Uh, and it's absolutely fine to nominate yourself. That is a, a, a totally normal thing to do. If you have an expertise or passion you want to share, definitely let me know. And with that in mind, have enjoyed the rest of your day. And bye, everyone. <laughs>